Best Picture podcast, and this is Dan Baer's interview with the director and writer for Housekeeping for Beginners, Goran Stolevsky. Welcome, everyone, to the next Best Picture podcast, where we are talking with Goran Stolevsky, the writer and director of the new film Housekeeping for Beginners. Goran, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, thank you for having me. It's a total pleasure. I am really excited to speak to you about this movie. We just spoke earlier this year for your last movie, Of an Age, and now here we are again (laughs) with your third film. You work very, very fast. I remember you had mentioned that you had just started filming this right after you had finished Of an Age. Um, and now I'm wondering, like, so is the fourth film already in the can? Uh, <laughs> you no, know, if you hear of any financiers or volunteers, there's a fourth and a fifth ready to go. But it's a bit more complicated because I've become a rich girl or a spoiled girl because I want more money now. So. Of course. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but also, no, I'm actually just uh, going from festival to festival and drinking at the moment for a few months. And. I didn't get to do that much in a previous film, so I'm trying to kind of compensate. <laughs> well, good. It's nice to give yourself a little bit of a creative break every now yeah. and then. <laughs> it's hard to complain, admittedly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this film, which takes place in North Macedonia, it's such a universal story in terms of its themes, but it also feels very culturally specific with the gypsy Roma issues and phobia issues. And there's a lot going on in this film. And I was wondering when you started writing it, what what was the inspiration for this story? (laughs) Um, the inspiration came from the other side of the world entirely, um, where a friend of mine uh, posted a photo from uh, the 1970s, from when he first moved to Melbourne himself, um, and he was living with his uh, partner, then boyfriend, and they're still together, actually, um, in Melbourne for the first time, and it was a house with just them two and eight gay women. And um, Wow. An ordinary <laughs> photo from their day-to-day life um and I just remember seeing that and going you know I want to I, I want to be in this place I, I want to live here and yeah I, w- I wanted to make a movie but you know it lets you live there um I updated it to the present day because and also you know shifted it to Eastern Europe because I feel like there's you know similar kinds of queer people that I think also need to be um, documented in movies you know I, I'm really driven by sort of uh, documenting a time and a place and leaving a record behind of like, you know, these lives also existed and also they were entertaining. And this is what, you know, uh, they'll connect you to this part of your uh, chest if you watch their story. So, um, yeah, it came from there. Was there a certain like message that you really wanted to to send with this movie when, when you started? Or did that come later as as the writing process continued? Um, I don't ever actually start or even end with a message. Mm. I mean, I sort of, um, I, I try to write from an instinct, instinctual place. And then only when, you know, re- revising do I sort of, you know, interrogate my work ideologically, just, you know, to meet my own standards, basically. But beyond that, uh, just making sure, you know, no one is being heard. Um, I don't really write with a message. I think I just try to capture people I find interesting. And often that's outsiders and people who don't really uh, get to be in many stories. Um, and then I look for ways to, you know, not just 
I, I connect to them, you know, as, as the filmmaker, but also I need a viewer to connect to them. And that viewer needs to be someone from, you know, any 12 year old, you know, straight girl from Brazil should also be able to connect to it as much as, you know, um, anyone <laughs> from the place and demographic that is depicted on screen. So, um, yeah, no, it just kind of came about um, organically. And it was more about capturing that sense of, uh the family dynamics that kind of emerge almost against your will even when you feel like you're in control of the family space you're living in um and yeah yeah and and these are incredibly interesting characters to watch do almost anything the dialogue starts off so abrasive but then once we actually see them interacting with each other you feel the love as well as the abrasiveness <laughs> i i guess um and they feel so specific. So how did you go about the casting process to find all these incredibly specific characters? Um, hoping and praying, <laughs> to be honest. Especially, you know, with the Roma portion of the, of the cast of characters, which is, you know, I think almost half of it, half, maybe more than half of the film. In not just Macedonia, I think Macedonia at least has two trained Roma actresses in, in total. But it has two. The neighboring countries don't even have that. Or I think there was one um, somewhere, um, but not, didn't really fit the age range. So obviously I had to go into uh, communities. And by me, I really mean my uh, main casting director, Katarina Grubach, who spent um, I, literally every day for many, many months in Shutka, uh, as well as all over Skopje, just sort of meeting people, um, connecting with them, taking taking photos. Uh, we didn't really do auditions. It was just a uh, photograph and, you know, they just introduce themselves, speak, speak as much as they can about, about themselves. And then, um, yeah, I, I mean, there were little things uh, that made people stand out. With Samson, who plays Ali, he was in uh, high school plays when he was little, and there was a clip of that online. And, you know, there was a sense of an emotional, you know, capacity to just be open and um and you know he's got natural screen presence and he also fulfilled the other key factor of he wanted to be in a movie <laughs> this is the first thing um and then mia who plays vanessa not mia ironically she was in a singing competition when she was 13 14 so there's clips online oh, wow. where she belts out amy winehouse and beyonce as well as amy winehouse and beyonce did. wow and you know talk about screen presence or stage presence um and you know i was very lucky to that they're both uh you know very were keen to be in a movie and very open-minded and just open as people because um it's tricky to make a story um in any kind of poor country that involves um, right now gay people and children in it. So just finding, you know, volunteers, especially from, you know, smaller communities who are, you know, happy to be in, in the project was already like, you already have half the role, <laughs> you know, just from that. And then, yeah, I, I very much lucked out. Um, but also I, I feel like when you're working with people who are just open um, and want to connect, and um, I think because they weren't professionally trained actors trying to prove anything, they were very natural, um, you know, and it was very easy to adapt around them. I think it's your role, you know, as an actor or director to adapt around people, you know, around you rather than sort of direct them. Um, and, you know, the more veterans in our cast uh, kind of almost pr prioritized um, everyone else or all the 
new actors um and kind of that led to a sense of family when everyone feels that you know they're being looked looked after and protected um and then yeah you just beer us up a little bit and go into maybe the more abrasive parts of you and then as well as the more affectionate ones um depending on what the scene of the day is <laughs> and you have all these and they're all fantastic these actors around them and as you said like they're they're very they're very natural they're very raw and then at the center of it all you have Anna Maria Marinka uh from four months three weeks and two days as sort of mm. like the she's the the quietest character by mm. by far <laughs> was that kind of a conscious choice on your part to have someone who was you know professional and had a lot of credits to them in in this central part um a little bit i mean you know i made a film with anna maria so it was like um and and the other thing it's not emphasized for a western audience but the lead character is albanian ethnically so she speaks Mm -hmm. uh and she needed to speak the language with an accent and again it was hard to find someone in the age range with the right dynamic and uh anna maria has learned macedonian phonetically for me in the past (laughs) I was asking her to do it again. Oh, wow. um, and yeah, luckily, luckily, you know, um, especially when you read the script for the first time, it feels like, oh, Dita, you know, is, you know, kind of the present, the central character, really, but she doesn't speak that much. Uh, so she was like, okay. And then we sat down and went over the lines. And it's like, um, she actually speaks a lot. <laughs> There's a lot to learn <laughs> phonetically. So, you know, kudos to her because both uh, Anna Maria and Alina, who plays her on screen partner, are Romanian. All of that dialogue was learned phonetically. And yes, so just consider while I'm talking about actors uh, prioritizing others' well being and space while they're working in language that is not native to them and they've learned it phonetically so just to give you a sense of how amazing these two humans are and yeah i mean as if like i i knew anna maria you know can do anything so that was an easy choice uh she worked with alina on alina's very first ever scene in in a show in a bbc show in 2008 i remembered her so then i i, I found some clips of alina's acting online and the rawness and kind of emotional depth, uh, even just like these tiny little clips was, you know, uh, I already knew like, oh, I can, I can work with this. In fact, this would be like uh, amazing, you know, for me, it would make my life a hell of a lot easier because it's a very difficult role. Um, obviously that was not a role I could really give to a non-actor um, because it was so complicated. Um, and yeah, no, I was just very lucky and privileged and grateful that um, Alina connected to the story uh is now my very close friend uh i want her to be my next movie too <laughs> as with Anna maria but yeah let's see this is krista makes guitarist and vocalist for less than jake and host of krista makes a podcast a songwriting podcast where every week i'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing recording and release of one iconic song from their career in our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes We've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. 
Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. It, it, it feels like there must have, I mean, all this, the energy that all these people have and, you, you know, they're really sort of like bringing a lot of themselves to the characters. What, what was it like trying to control that energy on set? Hmm. <laughs> um control uh you just didn't <laughs> frankly like, i mean like especially in a lot of the crowded scenes there's a five-year-old there so um you're trying to direct a five-year-old i mean especially that specific five-year-old like oh, that's a diva man that is <laughs> like the fire in the eyes is yeah not not a wow. it's not a trick it's real so um, she kind of directed us. <laughs> she would turn up on set, and this is the mood she was in, and this is what she was going to do, and these are the lines she was going to say, and the white ones she wasn't, and she would embroider, and we sort of <laughs> ran that first, and then that set the standard. I mean, even just the scene that is now the opening one in the film, we just filmed that a little bit as a test, because uh, neither of those three actors had ever been on set. So just to kind of slowly you know, get them comfortable um, around each other, around the crew, um, and also to get the crew accustomed to shooting in a very unconventional way, kind of like a documentary. You know, you you create this sort of, sort of 360 degree space and the crew kind of like snakes around. And the actors need to be able to you know move around freely. Um, and the energy that came from all three of them, but especially little um, Jada, uh, little five-year-old Jada kind of established that the pattern of the film is even more kind of loud and raw and chaotic and lively and um <laughs> i sort of we shot that scene very early just as a test i edited it and i and i really liked it and i was like okay so this is going to be the energy of the film now how the hell do we maintain it and mm. very easily just put jada in any scene and it happens <laughs> <laughs> i love that and she's a, she's going to be directing films in another couple I mean, of years she needs to it. be genuinely because <laughs> yeah. she's also smarter than everyone else in the room you can't manipulate wow. jada she can manipulate you very effectively but like <laughs> even just okay she's a five-year-old she speaks like uh roma and macedonian fluently and we we're worried about how she's going to communicate you know with the actresses who didn't speak those mm -hmm. languages natively and suddenly we're speaking in english and she's answering us in english and we're like huh <laughs> well that was easier than, than expected and she's alive and you know like she hadn't even started school at the time so wow. that's mine man um yeah incredible Wait, so, so you had that scene, that was not originally how you were going to open the film. Was um, the no, first not scene... in the screenplay. Yeah. The scene with the doctor was the opener. Was the opener? Um, oh, I, mean, wow. I, I did have this idea at some point. Um, actually, Oven Age got me addicted to doing sequences with uh, tacky pop songs. And um, I, I wanted to, the, the ones I love, actually. Actually, no, the opening of this movie is not a tacky pop song. It's I was going to say, like, be careful calling it tacky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I was like, uh, I want that song in a movie somewhere. And yeah, then I got the idea of potentially opening with it. Um, but again, Jada was key because I gave them three different songs to see which one kind of um, they could. And they learned over and I, which one kind of sat the best. And there was a different song I was originally planning to open the film with. But Jada liked uh, Mushkarchina, which is the opening song. And I'm, and I'm like, all right, well, that's the opener, then, isn't it? And she was right man she was right i'm telling you she should be coded right we need to revise the credit sequence we really yeah, do I right there. <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's a great opening and it introduces like you know this element of 
introduces to us, us to this world on this note of like joy that sort of gets you know like sucked out a little when in the next scene but that sort of becomes you know the the overarching feeling of the movie is the joy that these people find in each other um well actually now that you bring up the next scene because i mean i would have thought the same but um yeah. i watching that film with all these roman people a few weeks ago they did not suck out the joy they clapped they were ecstatic because she gets to get back in the doctor frankly which <laughs> oh that's great that in real <laughs> yeah. life no it was actually like i was so moved because it was so energizing and i remember even the day we were shooting it um after we did the first run through, um, the actress who sort of has the side role, um, just you know, from the, coming in from the next room, she just clapped ecstatic because she was like, "Ah, this is this is how you do it." <laughs> so there's joy in there too. <laughs> it's just a complicated joy. Of course, it's wonderful. Um, we are almost out of time at the moment, but before <laughs> before we go, I had to ask you about the ending of this movie. Because it is so striking with these fast cuts before we go to black. Was that always your concept for how you wanted to end it? Um, again, it wasn't in the screenplay. It was during um, prep uh, or maybe even during the shoot itself. I kind of, um, the, the person in the final image to me was emerging as the most important one. Uh, so the character of Vanessa, and I was like, her face needs to be the last one I see because um, that that to me a lot of the story rests in there um yeah. and uh yeah I was just trying to think of how to you know get to that um and in a way in a context you know it, it's a very dark moment but I wanted to kind of complement it with this other you know aspect to it um and yeah that's where when I came up with the idea I didn't really tell it to most people I, I told it to Anna Maria who was kind of also mm -hmm. my onset quality control um like she's the person because she's a great artist with a great sense of every aspect of cinema so anytime i came up with something i thought might be ludicrous i would run it past her and go is this good and if she didn't say it's bad i'm like then it must mean it's good <laughs> and we went from there and i knowing that you know we could fit it in the schedule which is also something you have to consider a lot uh, we never talk about in interviews yeah, I, I sort of planned it. And I told my first AD as well, who's a great filmmaker herself, Masha Neskovic, and just crossed fingers that it would work out <laughs> you know, on screen. And even the way it kind of came together in the edit, like I was rushing to finish it, um, the first edit, just to, because uh, my husband is the first person who ever watches them. And it was like, almost his bedtime. So I was like, wait, 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 wait. no, 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 I, I'm almost done, almost done. So it's like, here, this, this, this. <laughs> and then it lined up. I was like, huh, you know, that, that, that works for me. That works for me. You know, there was just only minor tinkering afterwards. So yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad it connected. Oh yeah, absolutely. Garad, thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today. And good luck with the with the rollout of this film. And when we, when we get to see your next film. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's currently an if rather than a when, but you know. <laughs> it will be. Always a, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, I'm very happy at least, the, you know, this one exists and is out there in the world. And yeah, thanks so much, Dan. Always such a pleasure to talk to you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Dan Baer's interview with the writer and director for Housekeeping for Beginners, Goran Stalewski, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. 
Housekeeping for Beginners is the Macedonian entry for Best International Feature Film at the 96 Academy Awards and is up for your consideration and will be released at a later date by Focus Features. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you all so much for listening as always, and we will see you all next time. Hello, this is Gary Chachot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.